They get the word. It's a go. Finally, green mm-hmm. light. And they're going to start the countdown clock. Yeah, right. So, so like on the bleachers outside, they get the families, the moms, the dads, the kids, Krista's son's third grade class, you know, and, and they've been dealing with these delays too, but they can, you know, they can take a piss and fucking eat snacks. <laughs> so it's not that bad, but yeah, it sucked. And now here we go at last. History. I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History. I'd like to frankly. I want to know. Hello and welcome to Hilf. History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. Podcasting from The Den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To find more great podcasts in The Den, click the link in our show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Today, we hilf an American tragedy. In January 1986, shortly after launch, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded, killing all seven crew members, including Krista McAuliffe, a school teacher. She had won a national search issued by President Ronald Reagan and over the previous six months had become something of an American celebrity, especially among school children, many of whom watched the tragic launch from their classrooms. I was one of them, seven years old at the time, sitting next to my little boyfriend, Adam, who was also seven and who today rejoins me as my guest for this very Hilfy trip down memory lane. <laughs> Let's get started. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> shit! Yeah. Um. Oh god, I feel like I'm I'm tripping over my words and I'm fluttering my hands and just full disclosure, like I have to tell our listeners that in addition to being my oldest friend, you were my first kiss. You were my first love, and um, and I'll probably always have this just like childlike love for you, Adam. And it's just <laughs> oh, jeez, I um, I have actually a couple tears kind of kicking oh. into my oh. right to my eyes here. <laughs> oh, God, Adam, we can't start crying. Oh. I love that. Well, yeah. good. I love my love it too. for you, Don, will never go anywhere. So oh. it's always there. <laughs> God. And you know what? I should tell too that first kiss, it was like outside on the ice skating rink, a little peck, like second grade. I mean, you guys, we, we never dated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this history is going to no. be the closest we've ever had to yeah. fucking. <laughs> it's going to ruin all the other fucks for me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Better know your history, bitches. <laughs> That's, get in line, bitches. <laughs> right? And also, like, we, you know, we remain friends through middle school. Um, we would spend like most of our after school hours in the art department with Mrs. Bruja, mm-hmm. who I still love today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she was like, she was just such an important part of all of our lives. Right. And like, we were all of us who like hung out with Miss Bruja after school. We were like, cool. Right. Creative mm-hmm. kids who were like naturally good at art, but like mm-hmm. you, Adam, you were like good. Okay. And we all knew that like you were really good. Yeah. And like, if there was any possibility for any of us to like, actually, you know, quote, be Mm -hmm. real artists someday, like that was you, like you were absolutely going to be you. And now look, I mean, today you are making your living man as an artist. Yeah. You pay your mortgage, you feed your kids with your art. So tell me, tell me more, tell me more about your, what your life is like these days. I do. I work from home. 
Yeah, I work from home. I'm a designer. I do graphic design, vehicle graphics, vehicle wraps, signage, anything you can think of in that aspect. Um, it's something due to COVID that happened. I kind of made a life adjustment. I was like, you mm-hmm. know what? I'm sick of making other people so much money. <laughs> right. I'm going to go do it for myself. You know, and on top of that, I do a lot of watercolor painting, uh, pencil drawing, ink drawings, um, all, all forms of art. Actually, currently working on a 16 foot by 20 foot mural oh. in the village of Port Edward. Oh, yeah, I saw it. I saw a snapshot of it, like a huge mural of like local workers. Yeah, it's a tribute to EMS services through the Port Edwards area. So they right. have a fire department, they have first responders, and they have police. And uh, they just wanted something to start a new park in the area. And the first thing that they did was the mural. And they were kind enough to request me to do the art, hmm. uh, which really helped. Um, you know, just getting your name out there, opening more doors for that aspect. I mean, as you've mm-hmm. known... Me, my whole life, I've been drawn since I was five or six. So everything I do artistically, no matter what I do, it's artistically. Mm. Obviously, you're t- telling me about myself, but you in general, <laughs> like everybody knew you were going to be in theater or in acting oh. or, you know, you were just so boisterous and just amazingly talented in that aspect. <laughs> you could really bring a crowd together. So I've always loved it. Oh, so. well, thanks. You know, I, I mean, like, I obviously love being on stage, but, and I, and I can't shut the fuck up, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I still have a sketchbook, you know, and I, and I still find that when I'm stymied mm-hmm. by something and like the words, yeah. right, aren't coming to me or like the words aren't the words that I want necessarily yep. to say or to hear, that, that <laughs> right? visual art has <laughs> always been like a happy sanctuary for me. And, and I think that that is in part because when I was doing uh, visual art, I was really happy, you know, with you guys, like with Miss Bruja. It was, it was a happy place in times that, that, um, that were not always. Yeah. Well, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat on that aspect. Anytime I have any major stress in my life, um, I go right to the pad. I go right to paper. I go right to painting. Um, it really alleviates, it completely melts the whole mm-hmm. world away and everything goes away. You know, not to get into childhood and talk about bad things, but there was a lot of bad things going through my mm. younger to teenage years, and I had to deal with that in a way and locking myself in my room and drawing people's faces and portraits and some things like that. That was really what yeah. kind of got me through yeah. that. Same here, right? You, like, just find ways to find joy here and now, and then and then look forward to the future and, and hopefully have these memories, right? Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. so many memories. I mean, I remember one time we were sitting, mm-hmm. uh, we were at the Red Sands Beach, Nepco, or uh, Wazich, is it? Red Sands Beach, Wazich. Yeah, down at the lake. <laughs> uh, the lake, and uh, we were at a birthday party. I came with you and your mom, and I remember, I think you were 16, 17 at the time, and you had said to me, she goes, I cannot wait to see you at our 10 or 20-year class reunion because i know exactly what you're gonna look like <laughs> what and i'm like oh yeah what was that and she's like you're gonna be wearing torn up bibs paint all oh. over the place <laughs> like beard <laughs> hey and i was very close i was very close yeah. to that. <laughs> look at you i just don't have the ripped up bibs <laughs> everything else i have is ripped yeah. up and oh. painted <laughs> oh come on there's but, still yeah. time <laughs> just yeah so just seeing your face and talking to you brings up so many different memories oh it's time man absolutely nuts Joe, yeah it is it's absolutely nuts <laughs> Oh, 
Well, I'm just so grateful that you are sitting down with me. And this is such a thrill. And my heart is all a flutter. Oh, mine too. <sighs> okay. So now, now you've told me that you are a fan of, of the podcast and you listen all the time. <laughs> Swoon. And so you know that, that what I normally do now is I ask the guest, why did you choose the history that we're going to be fucking today? But this, right, this is our first audience suggestion. Nice. Um, so I had taken a poll on Instagram. I asked my listeners, what is your biggest hilf? And it was overwhelmingly this, the challenger disaster. So I started with the subject and then I went looking for the best guest, which is obviously you, dear Adam. So uh, 1986, we are seven, um, Mead Elementary. You know, what do right. you, um, what do you remember <laughs> about that day. Yeah, yeah we I remember sitting in the room. We were I remember the lead up to it most most notably. Mm-hmm. Like all this talk about this individual that's going to go up into this into space through the NASA programs and she's a teacher and yep. she has kids and you know, we're going to watch this and everything leading up to that and that classic old tube television on a big old black cart <laughs> getting pulled in. Yeah. You know, you're sitting down and you're watching it and it's just so exciting. You can get the countdown and everything's going on and you're, you're anticipating, mm-hmm. you know, this thing's going up in the air and you, you know, at my age, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah. You know, I never really, you're living in cow tip, Wisconsin. You, know, you really don't get to see <laughs> space shuttles flying in the sky. Yeah. So, you know, to, to know that you're going to be watching it on TV and you get excited about that and then watching the shuttle take off. I remember the big orange tank that's uh-huh. on there. Mm. I remember seeing the two white ones fly off and then all of a sudden, you know, kabam. And the lights were off in the room, so it was already a dark moment. Mm. Like it, that, that really stands out to me. And uh, once that happened, I mean, kind of like 9-11, you just can't turn it off. Mm. You just yeah. keep watching. yeah. Yeah, you know, and I don't I don't remember the explosion itself to be honest, but I don't think that we would have known if what we were seeing was right or not, you know, yes. like how it was supposed to go anyway, right? Like I mean, even the people who were watching it there in Cape Canaveral were like, "Huh, is that is that supposed to be like that? Like it's that, you know?" And I'm sure that the teachers just kind of probably mm-hmm. got it, you know, mm-hmm. like grasped the silence and the lack of high fives from mission control and were probably, right, like just recess. <laughs> you know, I do remember later though, um, like at lunch or something, but I remember being sort of like wily coyote kind of understanding, you know, like, oh, the shuttle blew up, huh? I hope they're okay. Maybe they're like still falling. Yeah, no know? perspective. Yeah. It, to me, it was a it was a piece of machinery that blew up. It was equipment that blew up. You don't really think there's actual humans mm. that are on this. Yeah, humans, human factor, right? And the adults, I think, could barely comprehend it. So, how could we have right? And this was, you know, thirty seven years ago. We obviously, you and I, didn't know shit <laughs> <laughs> about what was going on at the time. But there's been a lot of information sense. Nice. So what I am going to do now is tell you about my sources for this history. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. This book is called The Burning Blue by Kevin Cook. It was published in 2021. Mm-hmm. So it has um, not only the vastness of information that was available yeah. as the disaster took place, but it also has the perspective of being able to look back over these 37 years plus since. Is there new information that has come out, like, you know, declassified information? So yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's not so much declassified, but yeah, like following how they corrected some of the mistakes that were made to the challenger, you know, how they kept fucking stuff up, which has led to improvements and advancements, right? It's also great kind of like, where are they now? kind of stuff. And um, and another really great source of the history is a four-part documentary currently okay. on Netflix. <laughs> it came out in 2020. It's called Challenger, The Final Flight, and it's just so fucking good. Ooh. I mean, it's got just a plethora of candid behind-the-scenes video of the Challenger crew and Krista and the rest of them, and they're just being silly, you know, <laughs> training, talking with each other. Which is, you know, like, it's the kind of video footage that we now sort of expect, right? We take for granted now, but just, like, it wasn't available then, you know? I mean, we had we had some late-night interviews with them, with magazine covers, you know, for context. But certainly after the disaster, they, the whole crew, they were all just, like, sort of sad blue jumpsuits, you know, waving in slow motion. So, you know. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, then the final source is NASA itself, mm-hmm. because damn, these nerds keep notes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so if in the course of my research, I found myself curious about something, like something I couldn't find in the book or, you know, trace through, you know, uh, a general Google search or whatever, yeah. you can pretty much find everything on NASA.gov. I'm talking about like the investigators' sketches of what the inside of the orbiter looked like when they yeah. retrieved it from the ocean. Like, where are the bodies? <laughs> the body pieces. I mean, right? It's gory, right? Yeah. But like, it's also data. And they fucking love that shit, (laughs) right? So with all of that data, here's my plan for the hilfing of the Challenger disaster. All right. So first, you and me, baby, we're going back to the future. (laughs) We're going to get all snuggled into 1985 because, because 1985 is a character in this story, man. And, Mm. And it is, of course, also the year that the movie Back to the Future came out. But it's also like... In 1985, you and I were the age of the children of the astronauts aboard the Challenger. And as you and I are recording this day, we are 10 years older than the astronauts themselves when they died. That's mind-blowing. Right? Wow. I was going to ask a question close to that. Yeah. I mean, it's trippy. I'm glad you answered it already. It's nuts, right? I mean, to be here with you, right, 37 years into the future, after our high school graduation, and now we're, we're going back to when we were kids. I mean, it's just kind of fucking nuts, right? It is, definitely. Right. So once we get our arms around 1985, then we're going to meet the crew of the Challenger. And when okay. I started this, like a lot of other people, I think, I knew Krista McCulloch's name. Um, but I could not have named anyone else on the crew. You know, they were all just these sort of like sad, mm-hmm. slow motion walking blue jumpsuits, you know. But yeah. man, man, I'm telling you, this this whole crew, every single one of them are hilfs all their own. Definitely. <laughs> you know, and I think that like one of the tragedies to add to the list of tragedies, it, you know, that is the Challenger disaster is that because... Losing Krista McAuliffe was so devastating, it overshadowed the individual loss of those other six people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, fucking yeah, we're going to meet them. And I do remember that, too, is a lot of people really talked about her and not really about the other crew members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was awesome, too. So, like, you get it. But, yeah, they were all great, each one. So worth knowing, right? So worth learning about. So we're going to meet them, um, and then and then we're going to blow them up all over again. Okay? Oh, hey. Let's... Fucking let let us fuck. Oh my god! Oh my god! Sorry, just like 
I am definitely right, right. I'm seven years old with you, Adam. Yeah. If it hasn't become abundantly clear, and I still just get like, oh, you said the F word. For the people that can't see her, her face just turned a beautiful shade of red. <laughs> yes. I mean, come on, how can I help it? I'm dying. Oh. Okay, listen, listen. Are you are you with me in 1985, Adam? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. My pants are cuffed. Yes. Okay, Ronald Reagan <laughs> is president. He's beginning his second term. I'm sure you and I were both very deeply politically minded, right? Um, oh Microsoft Windows releases 1.0. Michael mm-hmm. Jordan is NBA's Rookie of the Year. Oh, yeah. Um, and this is also the year of Live Aid. Uh-huh. Yeah, when all the celebrities do the, the We Are the World thing and they raise $127 uh, million for Africa. You really connect hands around the world in that same time, too. Yes, oh. exactly. Hands around America, man. Yes, you are there. Right, and as for me at the mm-hmm. time... Uh, I turned seven that year. <laughs> I'm the same age as Drew Barrymore in E.T. I love mermaids. I have a home perm. I mean, I'm just really living my best life. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though, or maybe because we have all of this cool pop culture shit going on, one of the side effects is, generally speaking, Americans are super bored with space flight. You know, the real stuff that NASA was doing was like, what? Like you, you said, one of the reasons in 1986 mm-hmm. that we were all sitting around this TV screen is because, you know, you just don't see things like that every day. But like what's nuts is that they were actually launching NASA all the time. Oh. Yeah, like every month. Like there was a shuttle launch, like every, you know, satellites, people, and we just stopped caring. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? And all of NASA's like biggest hits were like 20, 30 years ago. You know, the first satellite went up in 1958, yay. <laughs> the first orbiting flight in 1962, mm-hmm. great, right? John Glenn, we remember him. We mm-hmm. remember Alan Shepard, yeah, right? The first guy to go into outer space. And then, you know, the first person on the moon in 1969 with Apollo 11 and Neil and Buzz. And, and there was... You know, there was there was another one that we watched, and the the other one that we remember was the close call in 1970. That one got everyone's attention, right? Apollo 13. Yeah, another which movie had great on that. casting. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Spoiler <laughs> alert: they all survive. Houston, we have a problem. It's like scary, and everyone's on edge, and um, and it just kind of like briefly rekindled like a general public interest. But really, yeah. But the fact was that like science fiction was just doing it better than the actual science. You know, I mean, they're like they're, they're, right. these these launches, they were hard to watch. They were hard to watch on TV because they were delayed sometimes for days. So it was just really hard to get like a television moment, you know, that countdown moment, you know. Um, but science fiction, it's given us time travel, flying cars, aliens. So, yeah, they're like mm-hmm. sending more stuff to a space station. Yay. <laughs> OK. And NASA kind of knows, right? NASA kind of is like, oh, God, like we're not doing good. Like if we mm-hmm. can't make America hard for space. We will ultimately lose our funding. And we were, like, as Americans, to be fair, like, we were starting to look around like, God, that's a lot of money, you know? And it isn't for, like, building bridges or protecting us from the Russians. You know, we don't see it. We don't get it, you know? So NASA's like, oh, God, we got to hook them. We got to hook them again. How, how, how? And and their first big idea was to bring politicians, you know, the first stopgap between them and their funding. Yeah? Right? Bring one of these assholes into (laughs) space. Probably a childhood dream and fuck. I think it'd be a lot of voting for blowing up. Oh, right, right. And isn't it and isn't it a damn shame that that one blew up? Right, the teacher and not the senators. Right. Come on. Um, but you you hit it on the head actually, right? Because senators hardly capture 
the hearts of the American public. And they ultimately, you know, at least ideally, yeah. right, they answer to us. And so we're the ones that they have to woo, right? And then all of a sudden, right, like magic, mm-hmm. two huge national needs seem to like snuggle up together, right? And I'm sure whoever saw it first was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm a fucking genius. But here was the deal. Ronald Reagan is running for his second term and he's he's not like really that nervous that he'll lose but like you never know right and mm-hmm. he's not doing well with teachers okay the teachers union is all mad at him oh mm-hmm. and so bam big idea mr president nasa needs public interest Reagan needs teachers to give a fuck about him. Boom. So President Ronald Reagan, big declaration mm-hmm. on the covers of magazines, newspapers, right? Listen up. Ronald Reagan has demanded, so strong, <laughs> that NASA find a school teacher to send to outer space. Wow. Big national search, right? The first school teacher will go to outer space. Ah, right? And of course, <laughs> as you know, this national search leads us to Krista McAuliffe, who is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you who she was, Adam. Good. Please do. She was Miss Bruja. She, she was? Yeah. You know, like one of those ride oh, or geez. die teachers. You know what I'm saying? Like, she meant a lot to her students. And one of my mm-hmm. very favorite sort of like tidbits about Krista is that on the night before she's going to NASA, Okay, like the last night at home before you go to space camp, right? One of her students comes to her house in the middle of the night crying and scared and talking suicide. Oof. And um, and like if ever, if ever you wanted to like, you know, put yourself first. I mean, like, I love you, but I'm going to NASA tomorrow and it's like a huge yeah. deal, right? <laughs> she like, no, she takes this girl in. Man, she stays up with her all night and she went to fucking space camp tired. <laughs> Right. And after Krista died, okay, about a week later in the mail, many of her high school students got handwritten letters of recommendation that she had clearly been writing for them, right, during those last critical days of training. And it's just like she was always working for them, you know, like she just knew her letter could make a huge difference to some kid's application. I mean, that's just like that's who she was, you know, and I love her and she is so worthy of the historical attention that she has received mm-hmm. but um and we will come back to her but first we're going to meet the rest of the crew all right and how many how many were there all together was it seven seven yes krista and six mm-hmm. others yeah and they're going up in this new fleet of nasa space okay. shuttles which are so special because they're reusable girl right like, when they're done with their space mission, these fucking things fly out of outer space like a goddamn airplane, man. <laughs> and they right. land back on Earth. Yeah, get new boosters, new jets, and then they do it all over again. Oh, my God. And NASA has four of them. Each one is essentially the same. They are Discovery, Columbia, okay. Challenger, and Atlantis. Now, prior to these space shuttles, whatever you shot into space... Um, stayed there, right? Or burned up and disintegrated mm-hmm. on re-entry. And, and the astronauts themselves, to get back to Earth, would have jettisoned at some point, right? Out into a little capsule where they just hope for the fucking best, right? Yeah. Now these things, all oh, these new shuttles are totally the future, mm-hmm. and they've been doing great. And they seat a crew of seven. And on this one, you've got mostly pros, you know? Like the real astronauts, the one who didn't, they didn't win a national talent fucking mm-hmm. contest to be here, right? They've been working and studying their whole lives for this seat, right? <laughs> right. And, um, and some of them have been to space before. Some haven't. Um, on this Challenger flight, there's the commander, 
Dick Scobie. Okay. He's the boss. Uh, next to him is the pilot, Mike Smith. Right, old Dick and Mike at the helm. All right, big egos, nice guys, but they're the best. Okay, they gotta be. Okay, yeah, egos getting involved. <laughs> to be strapped in behind them, you heard me, are three mission specialists, and um, a mission specialist is also a professional astronaut who's been trained, you know, through astronaut school, and and they perform various duties related to like the operation okay. of the spacecraft. All right, we've got. Judy Resnick, oh, a total babe, who specializes in robotic arms, hot. Next is Ron McNair, who's very good at laser technology, yas. Um, and then Elizan Onizuka, who's doing research on the tail of Halley's Comet. What? Oh, wow. Okay. And then that leaves the last two seats, which are designated for payload specialists. And these are the like non-astronaut tagalongs, right? Those folks who, yeah, they've done a ton of training and they've gone through a meat grinder of preparation. Yeah, but they're just not themselves astronauts. Really? They're there for some sort of like secondary reason. Like Krista's there to be a school teacher in space, of course. And she's going to be teaching classes from oh. space. I mean, that's the idea anyway, of course. And then the other guy is Greg Jarvis. He's a contractor doing research for a, a company outside of NASA. We'll, we'll get into that later. But, but where, hearing that much, where do you think you'd want to mm. be, Adam? What's your job? Um, well, I'm not very much an ego person, so I would not mm. be in the first two seats, obviously. I <laughs> would want to do something mechanical. I think that would make mm. things survive better than just somebody telling somebody what to do all the time. Right. <laughs> so I don't, I wouldn't want to be a pilot. Yeah, uh -huh. I don't want to be a pilot. I mean, I, I think I've always wanted to learn how to fly, but yeah, no, I'm, I just want to, I want, I want to uh, work with a mechanical arm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pick things up. <laughs> right. Me too. I don't, I don't want to call the shots in that, mm -hmm. in that high stakes. Nope. Yep. I ride, right. I do mm -hmm. my little job and exactly. I do it really yeah. well. Like and then, I go float and, and eat them little um, dot ice cream treats. <laughs> Thank you. Right. <laughs> but I also don't, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to be a grunt either. Cause yeah, like, no, I'm not really either. good no. at customer service. <laughs> so I gave you a, a brief, like a little meeting of the crew, their names, where they sat, but I didn't want to leave them mm -hmm. with, with just that because like, so last night <laughs> I was sipping whiskey, walking around, kind of talking through this episode. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not rehearsing it, but, you know, it's like, it's Adam. <laughs> okay, it got to be sharp. And, uh -huh. uh, and uh, as I was doing it, I cried alone. All right, four times. So I'm just going to do my best now, you know. Well, not... I've been easy to cry myself, so you might make me cry now. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't you dare. We can't both blubber <laughs> through this. <laughs> but, the, but the bottom line is, you know, I fell in love with these folks. Yeah. You know, like you research them long enough and, and then you see these videos of them and they touched my heart. So <laughs> so I'm just going to um, give you like a little bitty hilf, you know, something awesome about each one so that, you know, so that you can be just as wrecked as I was when they blow right. up. Okay. <laughs> so first up, Commander Dick Scobie. Oh, handsome, chiseled family man. He's a career astronaut who had been on Challenger before. Yeah, he had taken Challenger to outer space in 1984, man, which means oh, wow. he'd landed the landed. fucking thing yeah. back on Earth. Yeah, right. Right? Which, according to the very small pool of people who would even know that that was a hard thing to do, no, that's a hard thing to do. You know, outer space is one thing, but landing these space shuttles back on Earth was like landing a brick. Yeah, which is why only those mm -hmm. who had proven themselves to be the very 
best flyers were even remotely considered to do it. And then this is just one of my favorite little nuggets about the commander. Um, It comes from his daughter, and she said that one of the things that she remembers most about him was that he gave human attributes to things. Like he was always personifying things. So like if, if the car got a new set of tires, he'd, he'd pat him and say, look at her nice new shoes. And um, he'd come home from work sometimes and say that the problem was that the computers were grumpy and they weren't talking to each other. Yeah. And um, I don't know why. I just, I love that. Well, maybe there was just a deeper connection to the, in the electronic mm. or the mechanical thing. I mean, that's why maybe he had the talent that he had. Mm. You know, he, he viewed these things as, again, symbiotic things of life. I mean, that's... Yeah. Back then, those things were just coming into play, and so much good stuff was coming out of it. Yeah. And that's good that he had that personality. He didn't look at it as a tool. He looked at it as a, as a partner. A partner. Crime, so to speak. Right, yeah. yeah. I love that. <laughs> Next up is the pilot, Mike Smith. My favorite thing about him, he's 41, so he's younger than you and I are now, gulp. And he always wanted to be an astronaut. Lifelong dream. You know, everything else he'd ever done, fighter pilot in Vietnam, all the shit that he hated was to get a chance to do this, you know, (laughs) go to space. And this trip on Challenger was his first trip to space. And he was so sure his whole life that, that this is what he wanted to do, that when he proposed to his wife, Jane, he told her, you know, this is my plan. Okay. And it's super risky. Fighter pilots, test pilot, right? Super risky. Are you in? Oh, really? And she said, yeah, you know, I understand what you're saying. And I'm totally in, right? Be an astronaut, babe. Hell yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the day comes, NASA calls him to offer the job, you know, the job. And they, and they said that he was the only person in their history who, when he got the call said, can I call you back? (laughs) Yeah. He calls his wife and he's just like, okay, just like you're super Duper sure, for sure. You're good with this? Oh, wow. Swoon, right? I know. So now you're in love with Mike Smith. (sighs) Okay. Next, I want you to buckle up for your new crush. (laughs) Her name is Judy Resnick. She's 35, and she, she looks... Like a cross between Ripley from Alien and Jennifer Beals from Flashdance. Oh, I'm sold. I'm totally sold. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, she's got the big, beautiful, dark, curly hair. She's an A-plus, babe. She's a, a long-distance runner. Perfect thighs. Right? And she's not just hot. Okay, girl is a genius. She's like one of 16 women in the country ever to have gotten a perfect score on her SATs. Ooh. She was marked as gifted in kindergarten. She was the top of every class she was in. She was a concert pianist and was like really close to just going ahead on that track and just being a prodigy, like, you know, worldwide famous musician. But then she mm-hmm. went ahead and got her PhD in electrical engineering. And then, right, went right. ahead and got her PhD in biomedical engineering. I mean, come on. And she's young. She's 28, man. Ooh. And divorced, okay, even though her husband was awesome, but he wanted kids, and she was like, man, right, I'm an astronaut, as in not a mom. (laughs) Um, But they stayed friends. And then she catches wind that NASA is, like, actively recruiting women. It's the 70s, right? And they want women and minorities. Everybody, come to space. And so she's like, okay. Right. Right? That's me. And so she starts, like, speaking to people, like, how do I do this, you know? And I'm really smart. And they're like, yeah, well, you do have a lot of the qualifications, it would be better, though, Judy, if you could fly, right? 
If you had your pilot's license, oh, yeah. So she goes So out. she <sighs> goes ahead, exactly, and gets a pilot's license, right? Nothing stopping her. And then she gets into NASA class of 1970. Year I was born. <laughs> right? Big year. Big year. You and I entered the world, and that hot twat Judy resident got into NASA. Yeehaw. Set the flux capacitor 1978. And that class, man, Adam, if you want to do a dope mural, okay, do the NASA class of 1978, man. There were 35 of them, including Judy, Sally Ride. Oh. Yes, the fucking yes, first woman in space, mm. Sally Ride. In fact, when NASA was torn between sending Judy Resnick or Sally Ride, right, first woman in space, they chose Sally Ride because Judy was kind of a cunt on TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like I, I described to you how, how she's hot and she's cool and she's like badass and everything, but she hated the people treating her like, a thing like a token thing, you know, a novelty, she didn't and like have that that TV personality, right? <laughs> like, like she'd be interviewed, right? And these asshole anchormen would be like, "You're really cute for an astronaut," right? And she'd be like, "Thank you." Right? Oh my god! And the, or they'd just be so mm. condescending. Like I saw her on this one show, um, and the anchor was like, "You're so you're so pretty." Now, when you're on a date, I'm serious. <laughs> do men ever say you're too pretty to be an astronaut? And she just like. Looks at him with this just like frozen smile and says, I just tell them I'm an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> right? And she drank and she swore and she was yeah. just this sort of foul mouthed, outspoken genius. Dude, why wasn't <laughs> I born born 25 years earlier? It's right. like the ideal woman right there. Well, like seriously, the ideal woman. <laughs> yeah, you, for you <laughs> and everybody, get in line, Adam. <laughs> This is going to be her second trip to Ooh. space, man. She'd gone up in 1984 aboard Discovery. So hot. Second woman in space. <laughs> yas. Um, but man, every time anyone asked her anything, it was about her love life. Who are you dating? Right? What dating is a lady astronaut? Blah, blah. <laughs> and I think this is so great. She just like created this I'm in love with Tom Selleck thing. Okay. Yeah, like she wore a t-shirt. She had a picture of Tom Selleck in her locker. Awesome. She had a coffee mug. I love it. As far as I know, she never met him, which is too bad. Um, but this means, like, Judy starts off with just kind of like a little chip on her shoulder about Krista, too, right? Because the astronauts, as a whole, they were definitely, like, resentful, right, of those coveted, rare seats on the space shuttles, right? Going to anyone but them and their, like, highly deserving colleagues, right? These people who have worked their whole lives and they've sacrificed and they're just the most brilliant at their fields and they are competing mm -hmm. among one another. And then just like, you know, schlumpy, glad-handing, cunty politician comes in and is like, oh, this is neat. Going to outer space is really neat, you know. Yeah, no comedy there. And so it started that way with Krista for mm -hmm. Judy. And we know this from Judy's letters and her private writings. Like, um, she's like, oh, great, you know, a teacher, yeah. eye roll, eye roll. But then, like, Judy hated the media, right? And it was why Sally Ride was picked first. And the whole Tom Selleck was Another like, fuck you to the journalist, right? But she saw Krista approach it with like a kind of grace. Like oh. Krista was a token thing too to them, you know? She's being dropped in front of the cameras constantly. Teacher in space, microphones, magazines. But Judy saw Krista do this grind anyway and learning astronaut shit, which is so fucking hard. And like... She wasn't on camera like an attention whore, but she like made yeah. everybody look good around her and was so nice and like that's <laughs> not easy. Like Judy knew that. So mm -hmm. so she starts helping her. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, starts helping Krista with her homework. 
and basically just like helping her finish her tasks and training and giving her tips and really brings her under her wing. They go out drinking together. I mean, so the, it's really the, uh, sweet. The engineer becomes the teacher to teach the teacher how to get through this whole program, mm. which is really cool. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point, Adam. Oh, God, the teacher. Yeah. Yeah, she was a good teacher to the teacher. Oh, God, you're breaking my heart. All right, next to Judy Resnick is Ron McNair. He's 35. He is, God, I know, I said it, but they are all so fucking cool, okay? So I told you that Judy <laughs> was the second woman in outer space, right? Ron McNair is the second black man to go to outer space. Oh, nice. uh, he also was in that fucking sexy class of 1978. He grew up so poor in segregated South Carolina that his house had no indoor plumbing. Uh, his father was a mechanic. His mother was a school teacher. Okay. And one day when he's nine years old, he goes to the local library to check out two books about science and the racist librarian refuses to right. let him check out these books. Yeah. And he's kind and he's polite, but he insists. This is your job. Like right? let it happen. But she let him check out these books and she still refuses. And then she calls the police and his parents. Oh, fuck. Now. This is, we know, one of those moments in history that can go fuck a gazillion fucking ways, right? But when they show up, the cops say to the librarian, give them the fucking book. Right? right. What's the fucking problem? Why are you being such a dick? Right? Yeah. And, and so she like reluctantly gives him the books. And then Ron's parents say to him, what do you say? And he says to her, thank you. And, uh, and takes him home. And today... That library is called the Ronald McNair Library. Oh, dude, are you kidding me? That's freaking awesome. Right? <laughs> okay, next member of the crew is mission specialist Ellison Onizuka. He's 40. He is ethnically Japanese, but born and raised in Hawaii, which, you know, it can throw a wrench in the fan for folks in 2023, but 1985, boy. <laughs> It is fun to watch these newscasters be like, he's an Oriental from California. And you're just like, God, you know, oh God. But he, Ellison, he was a jokester. He he was the one who supplied all of the humor and the laughs. And he okay. had just these sort of legendary barbecues, whole pig, you know, everybody stayed, drank all night. Um, he had been a test pilot for a long time oh, really? for NASA. So the huge, right, one of the most dangerous jobs on earth. So scary. And just like Judy and Ron and Dick, this was his second trip to space Ooh. and on this trip his job was to deploy a satellite into the tail of Halley's comet really oh, wow. wow so fucking cool right <laughs> yeah do you see what i mean they're all just so healthy yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> oh and now we've we've talked about how these these six folks who weren't Krista McCullough were all so overlooked, you know, so tragically forgotten. And like, why are many of you hopefully hearing about this for the first time, right? But but seriously, this last guy, this last poor guy, Greg Jarvis, I mean, he was like, oh, this poor yeah. guy. I mean, he was he was not an astronaut per se. He was an engineer. He was one of those payload specialists with Krista, right? One of the miscellaneous seats. Mm -hmm. And this was going to be his first trip to space, but only because he'd been bumped from two previous missions for politicians. Oh, Fucking boy. sucks, right? And so now he's like, yes, finally, yay, my turn. And girl, if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, 
with old Greg Jarvis, girl, dig into what his job yeah. was for Hughes Aircraft Company. That's why he was on the Challenger, as in Howard Hughes, the movie magnet, gazillionaire who died as a recluse. Mm. <gasps> so interesting. We don't have time. Right. <laughs> okay. But, but there is some poetic justice, though, or like lovely homage, maybe, for our guy, Greg Jarvis, because he... I told you he was forgotten, overlooked, and I, I'm not kidding. I mean, you see, you see him as the guy in the back of all the pictures. News anchors either forget his name or oh, like really? he's the only one that they have to like look down and like find it to read it and remember. Yes. But, but not everybody, okay? Because in the spring of 1986, so about four mm-hmm. or five months after the explosion, uh, the University of Buffalo, where he attended, it's naming a new building. Yay! And like the, some of the students are like, duh, Jarvis Hall. Hello, he just blew up. It's a big oh, deal, yeah. Jarvis Hall. But they're like dragging their feet. I, I suspect it was like, you know, like those seats on the, on the space right. shuttle. It's like, yeah, there's some people with more money and bigger yeah. names. We could <laughs> give it to somebody other than Greg, right? Well, some students, they scaled the building and they nailed a homemade sign to the top calling it Jarvis Hall. You know, just take a stand for the guy, right? Show some respect for the guy whose name we always forget. And uh, yeah, and eventually the school was like, okay, yeah, fine. And now it's official. Fuck yeah. And then we get, of course, to our girl, Krista McAuliffe. (laughs) She is 37. Oh, really? She, I mean, you want to talk about trippy back to the future rabbit hole shit. So you and I are seven and we watch her tragically die aboard a space shuttle from our classroom. And, you know, you go even further back to the future. 1961, Krista McAuliffe was in seventh grade. Oh, wow. Sitting on the floor of her classroom, watching Alan Shepard, the first American to go to space. So I know, like, one of, like, her core memories Mm -hmm. that, like, planted the seed of interest in outer space for her also happened, you know, in the setting that she had hoped would inspire us. (laughs) Okay, the difference, of course, is that for her, Mm -hmm. in 1961, she was told, you know, to aim much lower than the stars. She was a very curious person. She was very adventurous. She wanted to, you know, feel for the edges of like what was possible for her. And she was told by her guidance counselor, all right, well, the edges for you, okay, for girls like you is basically one of four things. You can be a secretary, a nurse, a stewardess, or a teacher. And Mm -hmm. she kind of like, liked the idea of being a stewardess maybe, but flying made her queasy. Oh, really? (laughs) Right? So, um, so she became a teacher. And fucking A, Krista, she went hard. Right. So, on August 28th, 1984, this is the day Ronald Reagan's big announcement. I'm a looking for a first teacher to space, right? <laughs> and she was encouraged by her husband and her friends. And, and she, at first, was like, absolutely not. Like, of course, of course I want to. But, like, come on, man. Like, they're looking for quote-unquote school teachers, okie dokie, but I bet you got to be really good at astronaut stuff mm-hmm. still, right? But then, you know, it's hard <laughs> when your job is to encourage people, when you're, you're telling people all day, follow your dreams, anything's possible. So now it's her turn to just try her hardest, yeah? yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and it's, a, it's a cool, tough road. She handwrites her original application. And then she finds out it has to be typed. So she goes to a friend and her friend types it out for her, right? Then she's selected, okay, woo, as one of two teachers from New Hampshire. Oh, my God. Yeah. Every state sends, sends two teachers. And they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. It could be the one. It could be the one. So, right? She gets to space camp. And then some folks are eliminated. 
after physical screening, health stuff, right? They barf too easily. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> and she is selected for the top 10. Ah! Oh, my God. 10. Oh, okay. So now they're screening for ability. Yes. But also, you know what? They're looking for the sizzle. Oh, wow. Right? The smile. <laughs> the look that's going to get them. And then in July of 1985, <laughs> six months before the scheduled launch of the Challenger, there's a big ceremony with then Vice President George H.W. Bush and yeah! Crystal one, woo, you know. She cries. She looks at the other nine finalists and says, it's so sweet, you know, that there may be one body maybe going into outer space, she says, but 10 souls will be coming with me. So nice. Yeah. So she got the job. <laughs> and now the next six months, girl, buckle up. It's getting ready for this, you know, trip to fucking outer space, mm-hmm. mentally, physically, technically. And she's also preparing the lessons that she's going to be teaching from outer space because the plan is that she's going to be doing several 15-minute classes that will be sent in and like broadcast to schools. Like, what happens to gravity with liquids in one? It's so cool. It's so neat, right? And all of this <laughs> in the midst of being a sudden celebrity, right? Yeah. That, that stuff that like won Judy's heart. She's on Johnny Carson. She's on magazine covers. One of my favorite stories from like celebrity Krista. Um, she goes to a playoff game. She was a huge Patriots fan, which <laughs> we'll overlook. Right. <laughs> and she goes to a playoff game on December 22nd, 1985, right before yeah. Christmas. And she's standing with her family after the game. Yay, right? And the all-pro tackle Brian Holloway spots her in the crowd and goes, oh my God, <laughs> you're that teacher who's going to outer space. And he's so excited. And he like runs into the management office and he rips off a piece of their letterhead and he runs out to get her autograph. Aww. Yes, right? And she writes, dear Ben, reach for the stars. I'll be there. It's so sweet. Yeah, God. exactly. I know. And he, of oh. course, he still has it. Right. But like, I just, I also, I just love how giddy she seemed about the whole thing. I mean, you can't watch 10 seconds of her without smiling. I swear to God. There's a, there's a clip of her watching a launch. Cause I told you that, that they happened all the time. Right. And this one was a few months before she was set to go. It mm-hmm. was just a satellite, no people. And she's watching it and she's got both hands over her heart and she's just bouncing up and down watching. And she's saying, it's so beautiful. I mean, Oh, oh and her, and her husband, Oh, Steve, he's worth a mention. He's really, he's a very accomplished lawyer and he's so supportive of her. And everyone, the tabloids, everyone starts calling him Mr. Mom. That movie had just come out. And, and yeah, he's just, he's taking care of the kids and he's kissing her goodbye and he's so enthusiastic and he's so supportive, just swoon. (laughs) And so there they are, the crew, the seven crew. We now know, we know them. We know how they got to space. We know what their jobs are going to be when they get on board. And they are ready to strap him. <laughs> how, how about you? Ooh. You ready? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, good. Because we're going to take a very short break. And when we come back, we're going to head to that launch pad together. All right. Mm. Lift off. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. That's DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. Join host Dave Houghton and Sarah Ray Pallick as they examine the less glamorous side of sports with their podcast, In a Pickle. 
Follow IAP Radio on social media by going to IAPRadio.com. In and Pickle is now part of the Den Network. For more information, go to IAPRadio.com. Now, my guest, Adam, may be my oldest friend, but let's take a moment, please, to celebrate my newest friends, <laughs> my latest patrons, Robin S., Will P., Kirk F., and Human B. Boy, these towering individuals are pure sex. All right, demonstrating a perfect balance of seduction and generosity, and they're really keeping the history coming regularly. <laughs> if you'd like to join them, have access to bonus episodes, and hear your hot-ass name called out, go to patreon.com slash podcast. And, of course, be sure to... Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. My friend Adam and I have both agreed to pour ourselves some whiskey. You're having Jameson, yeah? Jameson water with a little lemon. That's all I ever drink. Nice. Whiskey, coffee, and water. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. So, where we left off, right? We met the crew. We know their jobs. We want to fuck each and every one of them. <laughs> and now it's the day, the scheduled date of the launch. Now, it's been six months coming for, for Krista, right? Six months of training. It's been a lifetime coming. For Greg and Mike, this is their first ever launch, right? The most experienced among them have done this one other time. Crazy. Right. And here's plan A. Plan A. We're going to lift off on Sunday, January 26th. This happens to be Super Bowl Sunday. Patriots versus Bears. Everyone's very excited. And then then Uh, they scrub that. Yeah, they they cancel it because it's going to rain. Yeah, they rain in the forecast and they just need everything to be perfect, right? It does end up raining, but... Long after the, the the scheduled launch window, it would have been fine. Fuck. All right. Also, also, the Patriots fucking lose. You know, so now Krista McCullough gets to live another day just oh, to watch no. the Patriots lose. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> I know. So plan B. Okay. We're going to go Monday, January 27th. It's clear, mm-hmm. but it's cold. Cold as fuck. All right? But so clear. I mean, the sky looks good. So, okay, today's the day. Let's fucking roll. And the roll, man, <laughs> I had mm-hmm. no idea about this part. It turns out astronauts, okay, for all their PhDs and all their brilliance and all their, their prodigies and all their perfect SAT scores, all right, they are one of the most superstitious groups of motherfuckers on the planet. Right, Scott? I love this because superstitions among these folks, it just reminds me so much of, like, the old school sailor mentality. You know, like maybe you're otherwise agnostic or religious. And there's a variety of faiths, you know, represented on board. There are Catholics, Ron's okay. Baha'i, which is like an ancient Middle Eastern religion. Ellison Onizuka is a Buddhist. I mean, there's agnostics, no religious affiliation at all. But, you know, <laughs> they're all superstitious. So check out like the weird what the fuck traditions, okay, that astronauts at NASA all Mm -hmm. do before a launch. So every one of these astronauts and any astronaut in NASA's history utilized these suspicions because they were a part of that group. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Every crew for now, whatever, 30-something years, right, does the following on day of, you know, day of a launch, Okay. okay? Step one, you wake up. Check. Okay. Then you eat a breakfast 
of steak and eggs. Steak and eggs for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, which delicious, I guess. But apparently nobody wants oh. to poop in space. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a guys, guys club. That's their cowboy shit. Great. Okay. After breakfast, they roll out a big sheet cake. <laughs> and, uh, you know, name of the mission, the logo in frosting. Very cool. They cut the cake in like... I don't know, pseudo-wedding, <laughs> okay? But the astronauts, they don't eat any of it, no. Because the idea is, we'll hold yours, right? We'll, you'll have yours when you get uh, back. okay. It's kind of like that 10-year anniversary cake in the freezer, right? Yes, right, exactly. <laughs> I thought the same thing. <laughs> then the pilot, okay, has to sit down and they play a game of Possum's Fargo, which oh <laughs> it's a game. It's a card game. I looked it up. It's crazy. Apparently, there's five cards, no draw, no bet, and the worst hand wins. I don't understand it. But they can't get in the van, right, that takes them oh, yeah. to the launch pad <laughs> until the pilot has won a game of Possum's Fargo. That could take days, huh? I need to know what this game is now. I'm going to look it up eventually. And I, yeah, I did, right? Because I'm like, hey, what if NASA needs me yeah. and I can't win a game of Possum's Fargo? Right. <laughs> oh, but once, but once, all right, the pilots have won a hand, however you do it. Um, then everybody gets in their blue jumpsuit or whatever color is the okay. theme of the flight, and they do the walk. Right? Out to the van. And this is the shot. You could probably see it. They all do it. They walk down the hallway out onto the airstrip parking lot thing. And they wave, right? And they get in the van that drives them out to the shuttle. And then there, they get even more clothes on, right? (laughs) Sort of dressed like a queen. You know, you stand there with your arms out while a bunch of helpers get your special clothes on you, right? Fucking heavy-ass thing over your neck. (laughs) Hold on to Raj while I get your boot on. And it's like, oh, fuck, you know, this is happening. We're astronauts. Get our astronaut clothes on, yeah? Right. And then they they crawl through the hatch into their seats, and they strap in, and they're testing their microphones, right? Okay, okay, everybody can hear everybody. Check. And I'm sure, right, their hearts are right up to here, right? Mm -hmm. And then they close the hatch. Lock the hatch. A mission control is going to... And then, oop, whoop, whoop. Hope there's like this little meter thing. Hold on, everybody. It says the hatch isn't close, yeah. right? Or it isn't locked. I don't know. It looks like it is. feels like it is. But I don't know. This little sensor says it's not. Fuck. All right. Hold, hold. Everybody sit tight. Yeah. We got to figure out this hatch. And the fuck, you know, it's like your car lights. I mean, you know, it's either the gauge is faulty, oh. just the light is saying that it's not working, or it's actually not working, and we can't fucking risk it. But it could be nothing, so sit tight. Hey, everybody in there, just sit tight. We're going to super quick remove this bolt so that we can confirm or deny this is actually a problem. <laughs> but then the bolt, the bolt is stripped, and they can't get it off. Fuck. So then it's like, sit, to sit tight in there, okay? Because we've called a crew. And they're coming down here with the tools to get the mm-hmm. bolt. And here they come, oh, slow as you like, <laughs> down what looks like the longest road in the world. But here they are, the crew, with the tools, the right tools. And one criteria of it being the right tool is that it is exclusively battery operated, yeah? yeah. No power cords, no power outlets. Out here at the launch pad. Smart. But whoop, all their batteries are dead. So they have to go down right and it doesn't matter. Because the launch window is closed. Fuck. Also, man, it is missing no one at NASA. That they look really dumb right now, right? The most 
sophisticated, advanced pinnacle of man. And at the battery and the bolt, oh God, this is goddamn embarrassing, right? Also, after literally sitting on their asses, strapped in and ready to go for five and a half hours. Yeah. They open the door and everybody gets out, fucking back in the van, dinner, go to bed. Oh my fucking God, right? And then, and then fucking kicking the ribs, they learn that the gauge was glitchy. The hatch was totally locked. Oh, just the, the gauge. whole time. Yeah, just the gauge. So, so now do they have to go through their superstitions all over again the next time? Yes. Oh, geez. Right? What are you going to do? <laughs> Risk it? No uh, way. Also, now, right? now, the plan is a fucking capital P plan. <laughs> We're going to do this on the 28th. We scrubbed it for the rain that never came. We scrubbed it because we didn't have a fucking battery pack mm-hmm. and a bolt to get the gauge that wasn't even broken in the first place. <laughs> and people are impatient. Important people. <laughs> and they're embarrassed. And they've got egos mm. and bosses who are coming down on them, right? So when it comes down to Tuesday, it's fucking Tuesday. Unfortunately, Tuesday... Right. It's the coldest day in the history of Florida. Yeah, up to that point. Girl, it's 22 degrees. So why why is cold such an issue? I mean, don't they have to, like, when the, when the space shuttle's taking off, aren't they, like, shooting, like, dry ice or some type of coldness onto the tiles of the, the space shuttle to keep it cool so it doesn't go into flames? Like, so you'd think the coldest day of the year yeah. would work. Right. I kind of thought the same thing. Like, what should cold matter, right? Especially Earth cold, right? It's colder in space. Well, it? Yeah, I mean, it's way cold out there, isn't it? Yeah, right? <laughs> well, you'll hear more specifics about that later. But, like, the fact is that the circumstances for successfully launching a space shuttle are vastly different than the circumstances needed to orbit one yes. and, and vastly different than, than the ones you need to land one, yeah? So, and, like, we also haven't been doing it that long so no you know what i mean we don't know it's the coldest launch ever so uh. but again that's not that cold <laughs> <laughs> well it certainly is in florida okay and the prevailing guess from everyone is that they're gonna you know scrub this one too it's so much so that journalists who were there for the launch left <laughs> and like started to cover the other huge story uh which was that the oranges were dying you know i mean this cold had farmers like in a panic and up all night and trying to figure out how to save their orange groves, right? So some of the camera crews were like, I'm going to (laughs) go, we're going to go shoot that because this is obviously not happening. And also, I mean, the shuttle challenger on the launch pad on Tuesday morning, she looks like something out of a horror film. She's covered in icicles, right? Because they had like left the the water on. (laughs) We're from Wisconsin. We understand the concept. Water. Man, I freeze (laughs) running all night, which left those long sharp like stalactite looking motherfuckers right mm-hmm. hanging from the grids and the and the and the rigging and it's so creepy and then get this <laughs> they're knocking these icicles off with brooms sister <laughs> nasa brooms <laughs> oh, but you have to believe that you know the ones doing it are like oh, oh yeah this thing's not launching today <laughs> right swing smack no way well right, right. <laughs> and the and the astronauts wake up on tuesday morning and yeah to your point 
They do it all over again. Eat their steak and eggs. Bring out the cake, which we cut, but we don't eat. <laughs> right? Mike wins a hand of Possum Spargo, and we get in the van. And, um, and on, the, on this particular morning, it's so cold that Ellison, the guy from Hawaii, walks out waving in his blue jumpsuit, but has a huge winter coat <laughs> waiting for him in the van, right? And gets in and is like, right this isn't Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's 9.30 a.m. We're all going to take off. All right? We're going to outer space. I mean, for real this time. And because he's the jokester, right, as they're all getting dressed, they're about to go through that fucking hatch, right? Ellison gives the guys, the crew out there, a big bolt. Like, haha, here. Just in case. Just in case. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You guys might need I would this. give them a battery. <laughs> <laughs> yes good one yeah they love that <laughs> oh and these same guys um they gave krista an apple oh nice like apple for the teacher very sweet and then again they they climb in they sit down they right. get strapped in right and we have all of this audio of everything that they were saying to each other and one of the things that judy says it made me laugh is like she goes my ass already hurts <laughs> because they'd been, you know, they they were sitting here like this for yeah. five plus hours yesterday. And of course, it's just, you know, it doesn't take long to feel that ache, you know, the pressure, the same spots. And and they're all sort of laughing about yeah. how great it will be to be out of gravity right. because their bodies are just right. Like the gravity is what's hurting them, you know, yeah, right? right. <laughs> so the first delay, all right, is like, hold on, there's some icicles out there but don't worry don't worry we've got brooms <laughs> oh, boy. Right, boy oh yeah don't worry about that we can take care of this hire the witch and so they sit there for like two hours man and now it's 11 30 a.m on tuesday and and then oh 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 my fucking god yeah things move they get the word it's a goal finally green mm -hmm. light and they're gonna start the countdown clock yeah, right so so like on the bleachers outside, they get the families, the moms, the dads, the kids, Krista's sons, third grade class, you know, and, and they've been dealing with these delays too, but they can, you know, they can take a piss and fucking eat snacks. So it's not that bad, but yeah, it sucked. And now here we go. So At last. 1130 their time is about 1230 our time in Wisconsin. So we were just getting done with lunch and getting back into the classroom. And I remember this part of it because I remember it being a very sunny day that day. But I don't remember it being cold. Yeah. So, anyway, sorry. Well, no, I mean, it was January. So, you know, Wisconsin. It had to have snow on the ground. Well, yeah, and we're also <laughs> beyond cold, right? I mean, we've grown numb to it, right? But right. not the, the blue skies. <laughs> exactly. Not sunny days. Yeah. I mean, it can be cold, but we care about that, right? So whatever it was in Rapids, we were probably seeing the blue skies and the lack of snow in Florida and been like, balmy, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yes. Must be nice. Oh, man, they have so many degrees above mm -hmm. zero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is it is striking to me, though. Um, and, and you pointed out something that struck me when I read this initially, and, and it is that, that that beautiful, clear blue sky is the backdrop to two of the biggest disasters that like I had okay. to watch on TV, right? Challenger explosion mm -hmm. and 9-11, yeah. right? Beautiful Tuesday mornings, blue oh. skies, right? Yeah. Oh. Um, and, and, and listen, among the many folks 
watching around the world at this point. I mean, there's the people there in Cape Canaveral, and that includes the 113 other teacher finalists. Really? Many of them probably wishing it was them aboard, of course. And here's here's a very interesting someone who's who's sitting in those bleachers, okay? And they're at the live launch, and it is the actor Peter Billingsley. Okay, he's 14, and he played Ralphie in A Christmas Story. Oh, I fucking love yeah. that movie. And he'd been... Seriously, I didn't know that. Oh, he'd geez. been really, really <laughs> close with Krista. Yeah. Yeah, for that whole six mm-hmm. months prior, because he was going... When she got back, he was going to do a tour with her of, like, kids and teachers. Like, we can do this, right? Yeah. He had been, like, NASA's child advocate. And and they were more than just hinting that he might go up soon. Like, what? Mm-hmm. In a future space shuttle, what? Be the first kid in space? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? And he's sitting there watching, and he's so excited. And, oh, and Krista's school. Yeah, I mean, her students and her school in Concord, mm-hmm. New Hampshire. It's like a carnival, man. It looks like the end of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like fucking Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Just like, you know, it's 86, right? Skinny suspenders. <laughs> Great oh, bangs, party balloons. Bangs. They're so excited. <laughs> and as for our crew, man, ooh, they can feel it. Like they can feel mm-hmm. the rumblings, yeah, of the, like things are getting started. I mean, even if it wasn't in their headphones, the moment is coming. It's so close. Holy fuck. And then, oh, oh, and I forgot. I almost forgot this one. This yeah. one got me. Oh, so as they were crawling through the hatch, right, to get strapped in second time, um, Judy turns around to Krista and says, the next time I see you, we'll be in space. Friend, yeah, right? Oh, and I just always get, like, caught up in that moment because, like, Judy, she'd been in space before. You know, like, she's got two PhDs. She's got her penis, perfect SATs, right? Really specific astronaut <laughs> job on this thing. But in, in, in that moment, she's just a human being, and she's <laughs> so excited to do this big, big thing with her friend. Definitely. Fuck. <gasps> Oh, so it's it's eleven thirty eight a.m. Mm-hmm. and the countdown clock starts. Right, Dick and Mike, they're looking up out that big old windshield, and there's steam, and there's nine, rumbling, and they're eight, singing to each other. Here seven, we go, guys! Six, ah! Five, four, three, two, and then one. lift off. And, and it looks so slow, you know, the the like when the latches that are holding the shuttle break off and she starts to visibly rise. Wow. Right. And Barbara Morgan, who, who is the backup teacher for Krista McAuliffe. Like if Krista shits the bed, it's her seat. Right? And she's on the rooftop nearby and she's just Ooh. jumping up and down and she's yelling, bye Krista. So happy. So enthusiastic. Bye Krista. Bye. And about one minute and 13 seconds later, mm-hmm. The folks who are mm-hmm. who are like on the microphones at Mission Control, they hear Mike Smith say, uh-oh. And that's the yeah. last radio communication. There's nothing else that comes through. And everyone on the ground sees an explosion. And, and now for like some of you, like me and like Adam, oh, fuck, I can mm-hmm. see it. You know, the reel of it now playing in my head, that, that white plume like an 
X in the sky. I'm seven and I don't know shit about fuck, but I know that this business, rocket space, this is explosions, explosions, explosions. It's how they take off. It's how their booster rockets separate, right? When, where are the explosions? I don't know, right? And because it's all explosions, people aren't sure what they're seeing. You know, and you can hear people saying, look, there go the boosters. Mm -hmm. And then you hear other voices, you know, maybe people have seen more of these and they're like, no, it's too soon. And then, you know, too much time has gone by and there's too much murmuring, too much silence. And then for the folks, you know, who are sitting there in the bleachers, a voice comes over the PA and it says kind of flatly, um, obviously a major malfunction and then more silence. I, I mean, for me, I think it's harder to watch the footage of the families and the bleachers mm. than oh, really? the explosion. Truly. I mean, just that, like the realization and then the fear and that thin hope. Fuck. So devastating. <sighs> and then after some time, you know, when like enough people were like, it's, is this, I don't know, mm. you know, what's going on? Everyone is, is just sort of ushered out, you know? I mean, I'm sure some of them maybe had more comprehension or whatever, but like some bright bulb was like, we should get the families into vehicles. Well, hopefully there was some time yeah. there. Like they didn't just automatically be like, oh, got to go. Right. <laughs> right. But, you know, hopefully there was a little time there. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, you, when you say, when you say Mike, uh-huh. was it Mike or Dick that said the, uh-oh. Mike. Mike. Mm-hmm. So what did he know at that moment to say, uh-oh? Mm. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, some of this... You know, we have to guess. But what the assumption is, um, is that because he was close to the window, right? He's on the, r- the right side, which is where that solid rocket booster malfunctioned. That, like, he was either seeing the flame that was mm-hmm. too high, and he knew, like, oh, that shouldn't be up here. Or it-, it was because the solid rocket booster itself had actually, like, already moved. Like, the explosion had moved it just enough that he was, like, seeing a solid piece of material in the line of sight where he knew it didn't belong. No, does a... Uh... Just a quick, another quick question. Sorry, because you got me intrigued now. Now, now this is where my gears start going. Okay. Um, was is there a black box of sorts like there are on planes? Is there a, uh-huh. a, a re- recorded radio black box on, on any space shuttle? Wow. Well, that, that see, that's a very good question. Um, I've never heard of anything like that. No, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, I still think that a black box is still destructible. You know, like in those conditions, like, like, I think that the idea is that whatever destroys a plane might not destroy a black box, but on a space shuttle, you know, in 86, also, you know, mission control is like real time observing their data. You know, like I just, I don't, I don't know what a black box would like know anything that they didn't already know, you know, right. But at the moment, certainly nobody knows shit. Right. And in the meantime, the families, oh, these poor folks on the ground, right? They're put on buses to go back to NASA headquarters. And June Scobie, the commander's wife, you know, she says that she can like see out the window mm-hmm. of the bus folks who work at NASA that have like pulled their cars over on the side of the road and they're standing outside their cars and they're just sobbing and they're like hitting their fists on the hood of their cars. And she's like, like, this isn't good, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then they get there, and they're put in this conference room. And, and this, is, this is the parents, the wives, the children, you know, right. all of them all together. Somebody brought out some fucking markers, you know, so that the kids could sit and draw. And then, like, not long after that, a very 
like a straight laced, no bullshit guy named George Abbey comes in and says, all the crew members are dead. They could not have survived. And he walks out. Dude, the simplest thing to say. Mm. Well, yeah, but I mean, the worst thing to say, right? And who wants to be the one to, and like, I don't know, I think, I hate to think it, but I think that maybe hearing it that way is better than any ambiguity or like fucking poetry. You know what I mean? In that moment, Mm. right? When you just like need to know. Oh, Mm. and one of the wives, oh, she says, you know, somebody from NASA or designated comforter or whoever came up to her and asked if she wanted anything for her nerves. And she said, no, because I'm not nervous. <laughs> she said, if you have something for heartbreak, I'll mm-hmm. take that. But I'm not nervous. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. And now, okay. oh, Ronald Reagan. Okay. President Ronald Reagan, who was scheduled that night to do a State of the Union address. What? And what he wanted to do, what he, what he kind of thought mm-hmm. he was going to do, right? was not only a great state of the union, but then sort of gesture out the window and wave, right? The Gipper. You're welcome, Krista. See you soon. (laughs) But here we are. And so what he did on TV instead was reference a poem. And the poem is called High Flight. And it was written by a guy named John Gillespie McGee Jr. It's not long. (laughs) And it goes like this. Oh, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth and danced the skies on laughter-silvered wings. Sunward I've climbed, and joined the tumbling mirth of sun-split clouds, and done a hundred things you have not dreamed of, wheeled and soared and swung high in the sunlit silence. Hovering there, I've chased the shouting wind along and flung my eager craft through footless halls of air. Up, up, the long, delirious, burning blue. I've topped the windswept heights with easy grace, where never lark nor ever eagle flew. And while, with silent lifting mind, I've trod the high, untrespassed sanctity of space, put out my hand and touched the face of God. <laughs> and, um, and the poet, uh, the guy, Gillespie, he himself was a test pilot, and he wrote that poem after a high flight, a test flight in the 1940s, and he sent it to his parents, and then he fucking died in a mid-air collision three months later Mm -hmm. when he was 19. Mm -hmm. And that poem specifically means a lot to a lot of astronauts. And Dick Scobie and Mike Smith both had that poem framed in their houses. Yeah. And so, you know, when Ronald Reagan gives his State of the Union address, you know, he doesn't, you know, he didn't read the whole poem, obviously. He's still a Republican, still poetry. <laughs> but um, what he does say is, yeah. you know, he ends the address with, we will never forget them when they went to the burning blue and touched the face of God. So mm-hmm. those who knew, knew, you know, and it was sweet. <laughs> um, but for most of us, you know, we just went to bed fucking sad. It was sad, you know? Right. And I mean, some people, of course, were devastated oh, because absolutely. their families were destroyed. But everyone else just really fucking sad. But then, you know what? We woke up in the morning and we were still kind of sad. Yeah. Right? But we were also like, what the fuck happened? Right. Right? What the fuck? Yeah. 
Well, and and you and I are going to discuss <laughs> what the fuck uh, in part two, right? Because what we were doing here, the story you just heard, right, was from over the top. You know, it was mm-hmm. like what was happening to the shuttle and the astronauts and the folks who were watching. But next, we're going to go behind the scenes and and get some of those the answers, right? Like what were the head honchos doing and saying during yeah. that that five hour delay when when they were working on that goddamn bolt, right? What happened the morning of the launch? After the brooms and fucking icicles, right? Who were the people that were saying, yeah, giddy up, let's go to fucking space, right? Oh, And we're going to find out about the O-rings. We're going to hear about all them red flags that went up before the launch. And my favorite story coming in part two is how Sally fucking ride saves the fucking day. (laughs) Come back for that. Please do. Yes. I can't wait to hear all this. Oh, do come back for part two. I'm not kidding about this Sally Ride story, you guys. She fucking slips a secret note into a guy's hand during the investigation. It's just, trust me, it's nuts. And Adam will be back, of course, and you won't want to miss it. Until then, our theme song was composed and performed by Kat Perkins. A reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode, or by emailing us, hilfpodcast at gmail.com, or messaging us on social media, at hilfpodcast. If you'd like to become a patron of the pod, <laughs> go to patreon.com slash hilfpodcast and see what we can do for each other. <laughs> this has been Hilf. History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party. And everybody's coming. (laughs) 